Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 32 of The Bible Unmasked. I am your host, LaVon Brown. Now, the Bible Unmasked is our weekly Bible study that is aired on Sunday nights at 7.30 p.m. on YouTube and Plantation SDA TV. Our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021. So please read with your family members, friends, and co-workers, and text your questions in advance to 954-388-8780. The reading plan is shared also every week during Sabbath service and on social media, and our pastors and Principal Stevenson are addressing your questions weekly, so please send your questions in. Also, please subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel um, so you can be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live stream event. So this evening, we will be studying Isaiah 60 through to Jeremiah 14, and our presenter is Pastor Gervin Marsh. Hello, Pastor, and welcome to the Bible Unmasked. Hello, Ron. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again with you this evening. Or, yeah. Okay, great. So good to have you. All right, so we are going to get right into it. We do have a few questions that our viewers or listeners have submitted. And so we want to do, go ahead and, and, and um, have you answer those, um, along with um, one or two other things that we need to cover. And um, so before we get into the study, I'll ask that you just join me as I just open us out with a word of prayer. Okay? Sure, that's fine. All right, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, we want to thank you for life. We want to thank you, dear Lord, for your word. As we study this evening, I pray, dear Lord, that our viewers will be blessed and that we will be blessed also. Be with our presenter, Pastor Marsh, as he responds to the various questions that have been submitted um, on Isaiah and Jeremiah. Bless and keep us always. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so so Pastor, last week we studied Isaiah 38 um, to 59. So mm -hmm. can you briefly remind the viewers of what was covered last week? Uh, well, those chapters, Isaiah um, 38 to 59, um, look at some very important issues and comes into the second portion of Isaiah um, that outlines many of the promises and prophecies that pertain to um, Israel back then, but also have application to us here in our day and in our time. Um, I would suggest that if you missed it, you can go watch it again or read those chapters. I'm sure you'll be blessed by the word of God. Amen. Amen. And this week we're looking at Isaiah 62, Jeremiah 14. And um, can you just give us a brief overview of what we're reading this week? So we're covering quite a bit here in terms of prophecies and issues pertaining to Israel and other nations that concern the interest of Israel in that time. Um, Jeremiah also does the same. And um, 
he relates to us quite a few issues that I believe have relevance for us this um, in this day and this age. And based on the questions that have been submitted so far, we'll be able to provide further um, knowledge and information about what exactly we are we're addressing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. So let's get right into the questions. We do have a few, and I, I hope we'll be able to cover them all. But if not, I'm sure we'll be able to get into it in our next session. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, what is Isaiah announcing in chapter 61? What is Isaiah announcing in chapter 61? How, if we look at Isaiah chapter 61, we will notice that it begins with um, one of the most beautiful prophecies of scripture, which Jesus himself quoted. I think the text says, and I'll read it for you. Let me pull it up. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And it goes on and on, a very beautiful prophecy. In answering that question, one of the things we need to bear in mind is Isaiah had a specific audience that he wrote to. So when he was writing this book, in reality, he wasn't thinking about me or you, Lavon, or any one of us okay. in the same age. He had a primary audience. And in biblical prophecy, we differentiate prophecy in a number of ways. So you have what you call apocalyptic prophecies. You find those primarily in the book of Daniel and Revelation, and you'll find some of that elsewhere. But Daniel and Revelation are specific for that. But then you have... Um, the other prophecies that Isaiah and all the other, many of the other Old Testament prophets relate. And we call, we call these conditional prophecies. And they're conditional because God typically says to Israel, if you do this, I will do this. Mm -hmm. So if you obey me, you will be blessed. If you disobey me, um, it's almost certain that you will face a destruction or something of that sort. Interestingly enough, Isaiah 61 is one of those prophecies. It is announcing the good news of salvation for Israel, the nation, as they existed during the days of Isaiah. And God was saying to them, this is what I have planned for you. And he says that there is a special one who is anointed on whom his spirit is on, who will literally reign in the acceptable year of the Lord while bringing vengeance on those who disobey God or harass his people. So when you read Isaiah 61, and in reality, um, one of the things that our readers should know, when the Bible was written, there were no chapter and verses. This was done for our benefit. Um, okay. But um, Isaiah 62 is actually a continuation of 61. Isaiah 61. Exactly. Okay. So it's, it's announcing the good news of salvation, what God intends to do for his people, provided they are willing to do that which he requires and desires of them. So in essence, again, it's announcing the good news of salvation. And this is one of the conditional prophecies as outlined in, um, in Isaiah. Look at verse 4, for example. The Bible says, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up 
the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. As you're reading that and looking yes. at it, it is evident that Isaiah was speaking primarily to his audience back then. But does it have any application for us today? Yes, it does. And I think we may address that in some of the other questions that will come up. So the prophecy of Isaiah 61 is a conditional prophecy, which is addressing the idea of the good news of salvation that God is going to bring for Israel if they are willing to comply with his will. The book also, the, the, this prophecy rather also has secondary application. And we know that because Jesus himself uses it. And I think we'll look at this a little further as we move through the questions. Okay. Okay. And I think you answered this question already, but the next oh. question is, has to do with Isaiah 62. It says, um, it's looking at the restoration of um, Jerusalem and asking mm. if this, does this apply to Jerusalem as we know it? Well, if we're referring to Jerusalem as we know it today, yeah. then that's a very good question. Let me answer that question this way. As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe and we teach that these prophecies were conditional. And if Israel obeyed, they would have been fulfilled. However, because Israel did not obey and did not comply with God's request, Mm -hmm. These prophecies were not fulfilled. Consequently, it does not apply to Jerusalem that exists today. Now, there are people who think otherwise. You have, for example, Zionists. They believe that ultimately Jerusalem will be restored. You have many of my friends. I went to school. I did uh, my doctoral program with a number of guys who are um, of the Baptist tradition Okay. And they believe in different dispensations. And one of the things they believe is that there is going to be an era of peace where Israel will literally be restored and okay. they will be able to fulfill all of these prophecies that Isaiah and many other Old Testament prophets outline. But um, if you look at the whole testimony of scripture, you will quickly realize that that is not so. That is not so. And that's another beautiful discussion. I hope I'll be invited or be a part of the program when we're discussing Daniel, because okay. that will give us a lot of information on why specifically um, this text and many of the other texts in Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets do not apply to Jerusalem or to the nation of Israel today. It does not. It okay. would have applied back then had they complied with the will of God. With the will of God. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that, Pastor. All right. So in our third question is looking at Isaiah 62, verse one, and I'll read it quickly. For Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's, Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the question is, um, from one of our viewers, is what does Zion represent in the Bible? Who is the daughter of Zion? Hmm. So look at the text. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And then it says, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Mm -hmm. In biblical prophecy, you will find that um, in Bible, there are different genres. Prophecy is one of those, but poetry is also an another genre you'll find in Bible. So the Psalms, for example, are made up of poems. Um, and in 
biblical poetry, they have what you call parallelism. Um, mm -hmm. And what that means is the writers write in such a way that they repeat themselves and they do so in a parallel way. And the repetition is saying the same thing, but in a different way. So for example, when it says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And then says, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Okay. And it's suggesting there that Zion is the same as Jerusalem. Yeah. So that's a parallelism right there. So Zion, so notice that for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. So it is referring there to the same uh, place, which is Jerusalem. So okay. Zion is simply the city of God. Jerusalem is also the city of God. You will notice I mentioned earlier that there are some people called Zionists, that they mm -hmm. believe that Jerusalem will be restored. And the reason they're called Zionists, part of the reason they're called Zionists is because of their belief that Zion or Jerusalem mm -hmm. will be restored. So this text is simply saying that um, Zion, yes, is a physical place. That is Jerusalem. And um, I noticed the question also asks, what does Zion represent in the Bible? It, it also Zion. asks, um, who is the daughter of Zion? Right, right. So Zion in the Bible also can and does refer to the city of God, not here on earth, but in heaven. And when it talks about the daughter of Zion, it's simply referring to those who belong to Zion. That's what it means. It's another way of saying the citizens of Zion or the citizens of that uh, place. So that's what okay. it's referring to. Okay, great. And um, next question is on Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. And the, the question is that has the prophecy that is outlined therein, has that prophecy been fulfilled? Yeah, that's a very beautiful um, scripture, Isaiah 65. And at Seventh-day Adventist, whenever we preach about heaven, we like to quote this one. It says, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. In reality, this text is even quoted in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter mm -hmm. 21 verse one thereabout. Um, and it says, but be glad and rejoice forever and so on and so forth. Again, we come back to the principle of the conditional prophecies of the Bible. These conditional prophecies had a primary application and a secondary application. In this case, the primary application, which was to the then nation of Israel, because it wasn't fulfilled, we know that it will be fulfilled secondarily in the sense that when God makes a new heaven and a new earth and restores Zion, as in the city of God or heaven, then it will literally be fulfilled because then we will have a new earth. And we teach and believe that, um, uh, uh, that Jesus, when he touches this earth again um, the second time, and that's going to be the third time he comes, actually, because mm -hmm. the second time when he comes, he's not going to touch the earth. The Bible says we'll meet him in the air. But right. The third time when he comes his feet will rest on Zion and the mountain of Zion or uh, uh, the mountain there in Jerusalem. So God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the secondary application or the ultimate application will be evident at that coming when Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth. It is then ultimately that this will be fulfilled. But again, had Israel obeyed and followed God's will, in a sense, they would have um, experienced this new creation. And remember now 
God's desire was never ultimately that um, we remain in sin. He has right. to create a new heaven and a new earth. So even if Israel had followed God's will and done all that he wanted done, some way, somehow, the Messiah would have to come to redeem humanity on a whole. And yes, he would come through the Jewish nation and through Zion, but he would also have to create ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. Right. So again, because it wasn't primarily fulfilled through the then nation of Israel, ultimately it will be fulfilled when Jesus comes and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that will take place at the third coming of Jesus Christ. Because okay. at his second coming, this earth is going to be destroyed according destroyed. to 2 Peter chapter 3. But then when he comes a third time, then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth according to Revelation 21. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Pastor. All right, let's go to the next question. And this is coming to us from Isaiah 66 verses 7 to 8 and 12. And I'll go ahead and read. It says, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Mm. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her, her arm and dandled on her knees. Wow, wow, so our viewer is asking that um, our viewer is asking that you explain this passage of scripture. Yeah, that's a very interesting passage of scripture. Um, notice what the prophet Isaiah says. He talks about the fact that, uh, and this this I find amazing. This I find amazing. He says before she was in labor, she gave birth. Right. I wonder how many women would love that to happen. You know? <laughs> that would have been <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I have two children, so yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? Before you, yeah. you're going to live, you give birth. That would be awesome. And before her pain come or came, she delivered a male child. Wow. Uh, that would have been amazing. Um, I, think, I, I think most women would love to have it that way. What, Jesus, what the Bible is describing here, basically, is the... Well, it personifies or, or, or represents Zion as a woman in travail, all right? So yeah. a woman who was given birth. And um, um, this context, if you read the entire context of the passage, it's talking about the fact that God is literally going to restore them after an exile, after an exile. Because um, Isaiah had prophesied and Jeremiah had prophesied the fact that God's people were going to go into exile. And, but mm -hmm. he was also, he never said they would always stay in exile and that would be, they'll be desolate. No, there's always this promise of restoration. And what he's describing here is basically the rapidity of that restoration. If a woman can have birth before even feeling pain, you would say, wow, okay. that's awesome. You know? Um, so God is suggesting that I'm going to restore you in such a way that people have never heard of. When a nation goes into exile, for example, or um, is oppressed and suppressed, that can take a while for them to be liberated. That can take a while for them to be restored. But God is saying, when I restore, 
not even childbirth can be compared to it because before a woman even feels pain, she's going to give birth. That's what your restoration is going to be like. That is beautiful. Um, that is beautiful. Um, yeah. It says, who have ever heard of such thing? Who have seen such thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? So again, the idea is the restoration of the nation and which nation do you know, having gone through any form of oppression or servitude or exile or anything like that is restored in a day but that's how powerful god is and you know yeah. it is amazing that the children of israel failed to take god at his word and unfortunately we do the same too there's so many wonderful promises in scripture and do we really claim them because god for example says before you call i will answer while you're yet speaking but how often we allow worry and the stresses of life mm -hmm. to just drag us down where we fail to believe these promises. And that was Israel's problem back then. All these beautiful promises, and they failed to accept them. And even verse 12, where it gives the picture of how, um, is it verse 12? Yeah, of how God restores again. He says, um, behold, I will ex extend peace to her like rivers and the glory of the Gentiles mm -hmm. like a flowing stream. The imagery there is of all things good just flowing back into this new nation or into Israel. And then um, on her side, she shall be carried. Most women can identify that sometimes you carry your child on your side. And that is a sign of your, your, that, that the child is, 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 is being held close to you, that you are able to manage um, that child. And it creates a certain bond and affection, but it's an imagery of how God is going to provide for and care for his people. And again, if they would only comply with his will for their lives. And yes. that's the idea behind these conditional prophecies. Okay. So that's what it's talking about. The restoration of Israel and it's a beautiful description of that restoration, provided they were willing to walk according to God's will. And in many respects, this was actually fulfilled. Because when they came out of exile, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, Nehemiah was able to build the wall in 52 days. Mm -hmm. And the enemies were astonished, and they accomplished so many things. And Nehemiah kept saying in Nehemiah, the hand of God was with us. The hand of God was with us. The idea behind that, again, is that, God fulfilled his will for his people because he's a promise keeper. Amen. And the hand of God is definitely with us today also. Indeed. All right. So we're going to jump over now into Jeremiah, right? A very interesting book, a very interesting read. <laughs> and um, the first question we have is, um, why was he known? Why is Jeremiah known as a weeping prophet? <laughs> And that, I, I guess that kind of sums up the whole book. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sum. And not only Jeremiah, yeah. but one of the books he writes or he wrote um, is literally named Lamentations. There you go. <laughs> and a lament is a weeping yes. and crying. And um, if you read Lamentations, for example, man, the brother is weeping. He mm -hmm. is weeping. Um, it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the, the book is actually divided in a number of um, laments or dirges, something to that effect. I, I need to, it's one book that I love primarily because of that famous passage where mm -hmm. it says it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. 
His mercies are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. But yeah, it's divided that way because verse one of chapter one says, how doth the city sit solitary? Chapter two, how are the Lord uh, and, and, and things of that name, nature where he's literally weeping? You know, when you read Jeremiah, he had a rough life. He was thrown in a pit. Um, his life was often at risk. The men of Anathoth tried to kill him. I mean, I think God even told him he can't even get married. God had told me that I would weep. Come on, I'm, I'm going to cry. <laughs> the brother. No, I think about it. it. Yeah, yeah, think <laughs> about it, God. About Back it up, Jesus, not me, Lord, you know. I would weep. So his entire experience, as you read the book, um, kind of sums up why scholars, for the most part, refer to him as a weeping prophet because of all the drama and trauma that he literally went through yes. and how he's often fussing with God and um, crying out. So yeah, he, he, that's why he's considered the weeping prophet. Okay. Um, okay, so the next question that we have here with regards to Jeremiah is in reference to Jeremiah 8 verses 1 to 3. And um, in the New International Version, it reads that, At that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings and officials of Judah, the bones of the priests and prophets, and the bones of the people of Jerusalem will be removed from their graves. They will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of the heavens which they have loved and served and which they have followed and consulted and worshiped. They will not be gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. So our, our, our viewer is asking if you can please explain this passage and what is this saying to us? Yeah, this is one of the most, um, possibly one of the most traumatizing prophecies, especially for the people back then to whom Jeremiah was writing. Notice what he says. He says, God declares the bones of kings and officials of Judah, the bones of priests and prophets, the bones of the people of Jerusalem, will be removed from their graves. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one of the things that is true for most cultures is that we find not only sanitary ways, but dignified ways of dealing with our dead. And so yeah. we try our best to make sure that we bury them in a way that is dignified. We don't just mm -hmm. see the dead and, and throw them. Yeah. yeah, dignified and mm -hmm. respectful way. And whenever um, we see, for example, graves or tombs or anything like that being um, vandalized mm -hmm. or desecrated, it, right. it, 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 it stirs up anger in most mm -hmm. folk and, and just make you wonder what is wrong with people, why they would even do that. Um, this idea of appropriately dealing with the dead in terms of how we bury them and how we um, dispose of them, I guess, for want of a better word, was something that was very sacred back then, as it is today, I believe. Mm -hmm. And um, this was so important that Joseph said to the children of Israel, when you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. Yes. And they were very serious about that. They wanted it to bury it in the place 
of their ancestors. Um, right. So you don't even leave it there, you know. So what the text is suggesting is that the graves and the tombs of those who are officials would be desecrated. Notice kings, officials, priests, and prophets. They're going to dig these up and just, they, and then the Bible says it will be exposed. Uh, where does it say? Let me see. Will be removed from their graves. They will be exposed to the sun and moon and all the stars of heaven, which they love and serve and followed. And they shall be, it says they'll be lying there on the ground like dung. Um, right. Dung refers to feces. It's mm -hmm. like, and imagine if everybody, and, and pardon me for being crude, but Imagine if we never had a way of properly disposing of our feces and it was just lying around everywhere. What would happen? You know, yeah. even in, in, in our society today, if you have a dog and you just let your dog, whatever, you can be fine. Your dog yes. can't just go around doing whatever. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So the imagery is that the, 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 the bones of these officials and these um, prominent people would literally be lying around as dung. And the reason that is so is because they were worshiping the celestial bodies instead of worshiping the true God. And um, I wouldn't want my father who has passed on his grave to be desecrated in one going there, digging it up and throwing his bones away. I would be very mad and I would go find whoever did that. Um, and <laughs> something had to be done to them. So when Jeremiah makes this prophecy to them, he is saying, that because you all have disregarded God, right. worshiping celestial bodies, when these nations come and invade you, um, that's what they're going to do to you. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have any regard for the living because the Bible says that those, when I banish them, all the survivors, they're going to prefer death than life. So whatever they, they, the folks who, to whom they're banished will do to them, they're going to be begging for death. Because they're going yeah. to see death better than whatever they're doing to them. Mm -hmm. So both those who are living and those who are dead are not going to be spared the wrath of these people. And they're going to really show how um, they're defying the dignity of even the dead. Okay. Okay. All right. And again, I want to emphasize, it all boils down to the idea that if they had only complied with God's will, that wouldn't yeah. happen to them. Right, right. Yeah, you that get is it. very and, important. That is a very yeah. important point to make. Yes. Yeah. So they do have an option. Exactly. Right. Okay. All right. Jer Jeremiah 9, 25 to 26 um, says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. What does it mean to be circumcised only in the flesh? So circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign that he belonged to God. And the Jewish people practice that down to this day and age. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, it is believed that it's a more healthy, um, it has health benefits for, for males. Um, and again, yeah, circumcision in the Jewish context is primarily, is for males. Um, right. So it was a sign that they represented to God. Now, the other nations clearly also practice this. So the idea that you belong to God 
is rooted in the fact that you're circumcised. Mm -hmm. Now, circumcision identifies you as God's people, but it was a physical identification. It's just like today, you can identify. Um, I live in a neighborhood where there's a synagogue like five minutes away from me. So there are a lot of Jewish um, neighbors around me. And um, they're easily identified because of how they they dress. They, they, they dress. They mm -hmm. also wear certain specific hats or, right. you know, the way their beards are done and the tassels they wear and so forth. So these are outward signs that they are Jewish. And circumcision back then was similar. Um, it identified that you belong to God. The problem, however, is they were so caught up in the outward expression that they failed to have their hearts circumcised. And what does it mean to have circumcision of the heart? It means that anything that is of a, uh, 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 of fleshy or human disposition is removed and you're mm -hmm. depending on God. So okay. God is saying to them here that although you have an outward expression of you belonging to me, in your heart, you really don't belong to me because it's only about an external display, but your heart is not connected to me. So what does it mean to be circumcised only in the flesh? In this context, it means that these people were more concerned about outward distinctions than about their heart condition okay. because you could be circumcised in the flesh or physically as much as you want that is not a guarantee that you're going to make it in God's kingdom. What guarantees us is a circumcision of the heart, which mm -hmm. means that we totally belong to God, not only physically, but in all other aspects of our lives, where our whole hearts or minds or body are concerned. And that's a very important point to make. And I know we're doing this not just to explain the passage, right. but what does it mean for me now? There has to be some application. Mm -hmm. Similarly, as some of the Adventists, or uh, we, we, we can, there are some things that identify us as some of the Adventists. The way we eat, for example, some of the Adventists are message. known for health reform, right. um, the day we worship on the Sabbath. But right. can these things save us? No, they can't. No. If I do not have a personal relationship with God, if I'm not circumcised in the heart, then it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So it says in Jeremiah, oh, sorry. Then it says in Jeremiah chapter one, God tells him he knew him before he was in his mother's womb. So before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And he said, did he exist in the memory of God? And does he speak against abortion? Is this speaking against <laughs> abortion? And does, and does, is it saying that, you know, he existed in God's mind. Or, right, right, yes. right. Well, um, we exist in God's mind before we're even. Right, 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 yeah. right. Now, um, that's a beautiful text, a very powerful text. You know, before you were born, I knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Um, let me put it this way. If anybody comes into this world... And the only time God knows of them is at a point they come into this world, he ceases to be God. <laughs> mm. You know, you would literally be entering the world and catching God by surprise. Right. Now, 
if you can catch God by surprise, then he ceases to be God. So what it is suggesting is um, God is such a powerful God that he has a foreknowledge that predates even our physical arrival into this world. Right. And that is important because it means that God knows, we teach that God knows the end from the beginning. Um, and if he knows the end from the beginning, then he knows even before you and I were born that we would be born. Um, mm -hmm. And, and um, does it therefore mean that we exist in the mind of God? I want to be careful about how we coin that. What we do know is this. God clearly, I believe what the text is suggesting is this. And I, I might be wrong. I think this is one of the debates that is out there. But this is my belief okay. where this text is concerned. Is that all of us who are ever created and designed, God has a specific purpose for us. Yes. Because if you read the context of the text, Jeremiah was basically complaining, you know, that I can't um, do whatever he want. And God is telling him, what? Before you were born, I knew that you were going to be born. You didn't come here by surprise or mm -hmm. catch me off guard or anything like that. So God was saying to him, um, I have a specific purpose for you and you're going to fulfill that purpose because that's what I designed you for. That's what I brought you into this world for. And that's very, very important that all of us understand that God didn't just make us to exist and just operate in the world like we have no value, no purpose, or anything like that. We all were created to fulfill a desired purpose that God has for us. Isn't and that amazing? And that is amazing, exactly. That is amazing, yes. Yeah. I mean, to think if, that, as you said, I mean, um, we're not just, we're not, we're not an accident, you know? There you go. You know, and nothing that we do surprises God. We are here for a reason. And so we just have to search and pray daily that we find that reason and fulfill that reason. We have a God-given purpose to be here. Exactly. Amen. So we have an ordained purpose. And I believe yes. that that's the primary burden of that text. I think there was a second part to it. Uh, oh, an abortion. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. does this um, say any speaking against abortion? Because God knows we're coming. So right. should we? And people have used this to to argue against the issue of abortion. Um, and that debate will forever rage on whether this is yeah. right or wrong. But let's look at it this way. Um when this text was written for the audience for which it was written, really, that was not the burden of the text. The burden of the text was that God had a design purpose for Jeremiah. Can we um, look at the text and possibly make that application? I think we can, because the point is, um, would God want Jeremiah to a mother to abort him? Uh, no, not no. when he has a design purpose for him. And if God has a design purpose for us, would you want anyone to abort any one of us or any future child? No. Um, but again, I don't know that that was a primary burden of this text, but mm -hmm. it is evident that if God has a design purpose for all of us, and we believe so, because he's the only one who can give life, then um, 
yeah, we 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 are not suggesting that you go aboard or anything like that. Any but, child, okay. Yeah, any child, but that wasn't the primary burden of the text. But, yeah, yeah. But as you say, the whole topic of abortion is a conversation that will be going on for some yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, there are varied views. Um, all right, so in Jeremiah chapter three, he speaks of God seeing Israel as his bride. Is uh, the question is is there any difference with how Jeremiah uses Israel as God's bride as opposed to how it was used in the New Testament or in Ezekiel? Right. Well, this is what we refer in some shape, way, or form as biblical typology, biblical typology, and um, symbolism to some extent because. What the Bible is basically saying is that God sees his people as his wife. You know, mm -hmm. this is my bride. Yeah. And if you're God's bride, um, how does God treat his bride? And how does God want his bride to relate to him? Um, throughout scripture, you will find this idea that the people of God were referred to as the bride of God. And that shows the intimate relationship that exists and is supposed to exist at least between God, between God and his people. So when Jeremiah or any other particular text in the Bible uses it that way, it is emphasizing that same idea of how God's people are supposed to be intimately uh, acquainted with him and be in relationship with him. And that is very, very important, you know, because... Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't want my wife to relate to me however she wants, you know, no. Um, that can be a problem, would be a problem. I think yes. a classic example of that is Hosea. Um, Hosea marries Gomer and this woman just does whatever she wants. Now, yeah. um, I think the only reason Hosea stayed with her is because God basically told him, go get her because I'm not yeah. going to stay with her <laughs> under no circumstance. You crazy? <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's it's showing to you yeah. the intimate relationship that is supposed to exist between God and his people. Yeah. And that's the relationship that God wants to wants um to exist between us and him even today. Even today. Okay, okay. Thank you for that. All right. So again in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter four, verses twenty-two to twenty-nine, which speaks of the earth being empty, void, and wasted. Is this referring to the millennium? <laughs> excellent question. Excellent question. All right. So as you'll hear me say this again and again and again, there's a primary application and a secondary application. Yes. When you look at the text, um, let me go to the text quickly here. Um, I think verse one says, if you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you see that conditionality there. Yes. If you put away your abominations out of my sight, then you then you shall not be moved. And the text goes on and says a number of things. And those verses specifically, verses 22 to 29, 29. Mm -hmm. right? You will notice um, it, it, it falls under uh, that section that basically talks about the verses before I think talks about, let me see. Yes, in verse 5, it says, for example, declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet in Zion, cry together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified city and set up the standard towards Zion to take refuge. Do not delay. If you read it and continue reading it on, it's talking about the fact that there was going to be an invasion. And then because of that invasion, what would happen to the city? 
the city would literally be doomed and plundered. If you look at those words, look at verse 20. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tent are plundered. This text is again talking about what would happen because of Israel's disobedience. And it's a very graphic display. You know, God, you know, when he displays or describes what's going to happen through his prophets, it's very graphic. Um, What's interesting is verses 23, I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void, is a reference to Genesis uh, chapter 1 verse 2, where the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void. Mm -hmm. It's literally speaking, it's appealing to the Genesis context where God was, everything was just void and desolate. And again, why did this happen? Why would this have happened? Because Israel was not willing to abide by God's will. The text literally says, if you turn away from your abominations, this will happen. But if you don't. Now, is there a secondary application? Yes, we believe so. Because when you read um, Revelation, Mm -hmm. the Bible talks about the fact that the earth is going to end up in a state similar to this, where it is like this abyss, um, without form and without void. And that will happen during the millennium which is 1000 years and again the millennium means different things for different people but for us as seventh adventists we believe that at the second coming of jesus the dead in christ will rise first meet him in the air we who are alive will be caught up and then we will go to heaven and spend a thousand years with jesus we're going to be in heaven with him for a thousand years during that time satan will be Mm -hmm. bound. The text literally says in Revelation that an angel came with chains and bound Satan. And what that means is he will be bound by chains of circumstances in that he will have no one to tempt. And his business is about tempting people. So if he doesn't have anyone to tempt, (laughs) he's literally going to be unemployed for a thousand years. And he's going to be unemployed in a world that has just been devastated. Because at yes. the second coming of Jesus, fire will rain down on the, the, um, the unrighteous and the right. wicked and destroy the earth and it will be desolate. And this is one of the texts that alludes to that in terms of a secondary application. So mm-hmm. it is not directly referring to the millennium in the primary application, but secondarily, it is doing that in the sense that those thousand years when we're in heaven and Satan is bound by chains of circumstances. Right. Um, the earth is going to be desolate and without form and void. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, just wanted to jump back a bit. We did have one or two, uh, three questions on Sorry. Isaiah that we didn't touch on. The first one, it says in Isaiah 65 verse 17, we have, um used it to oh no sorry uh, jesus quoted isaiah 61 in luke 4 18 and 19 um was this the reading for that sabbath or did he specifically find it and why would the people be angry with him for proclaiming that this passage is now fulfilled <laughs> well let's look at the text let's look at this luke right. chapter 4 is where we find it the bible says in luke 4 verse 18 well start at verse 16 Number one, it was his custom. So Jesus Mm -hmm. went to the synagogue because it was his custom or practice. Verse 17 says, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So in Mm -hmm. the synagogue, they read the the, 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 the Torah. 
because that's what they had. They never had the right. New Testament. And the book which was handed him was of Isaiah. And the text says, and when he had opened the book, he, Jesus, found the place where it was written. And then he read that text, which is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And right. verse 20 says, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Well, I guess the way, however, Jesus read that text, he did it in such a profound way that all eyes were on, him. on him. And then the Bible says, he began to say, that is while everybody was looking at him, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yes. That idea of being fulfilled is talking about the, the, the secondary application, as you have heard me saying, mm -hmm. that this also alluded to the Messiah. And now Jesus is saying, hey, this is a promise of scripture that is being fulfilled in your hearing. And for your very eyes. Yes, before your very mm -hmm. eyes. And the Bible says, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words. And then the Bible says, they said in verse 20, is this not Joseph's son? Right. So in other words, how are you saying that this is being fulfilled? If this is being fulfilled, who is the anointed one? The anointed mm -hmm. one is the Messiah. Right. So you're saying... You are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Yes, the audacity. And exactly. So they're like, whoa, whoa, back up. Messiah, isn't this yeah. Joseph's son? So they're like, I'm sorry, we know you. We know who your father is. <laughs> uh, no. And he said, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do here in your country. And verse 24 says, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in this country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. And he goes on and on. And he talks about the widows and the lepers. And the Bible says in verse 28, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these words, were filled with wrath and mm -hmm. rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which... The, their city was built and they might throw him down near the cliff. Now, I've actually been to this place. I went to Israel and we went to this place where they okay. believe that this happened. And it's yeah. a very steep cliff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, a yeah. death for Jesus. But um, the reason they were mad at him is because, yeah. one, he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of this promise and this prophecy. So I'm the Messiah. And then they're saying, but we know you. You're, we know you. You're, you're Joseph's son. And in reality... This is not what they expected. Yeah, we're questioning <laughs> even the very um, circumstances of your birth because right. we're, not, we're, we're, we're not certain you're actually Joseph's son. You maybe seemed to have been <laughs> pregnant before. You know, he was, he was finally married. And now, right. and now look at this. Um, Jesus said, oh, you're right. A prophet has no honor in his country. So they're like, we're not listening to you because who are you? And you know, it's we're more willing to accept others sometimes yes. who are not from among us. That's what the mm -hmm. idea of a prophet is um, not accepted in his own country. In his own country and then right. Jesus basically chides them and chastises them and says, um, I can't do anything here because you don't believe in me. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to say physician heal yourself but the point is you really don't believe in me so nothing's going to happen here and that's when they got mad according to the text and wanted to throw him over the, the cliff, the cliff. Um, yeah very interesting story of Bible so they got mad at Jesus because they didn't see him 
as a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Right. And then when he was brave enough to, to rebut them and say, uh, whatever, um, they were like, no, 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 you're, you're getting through it. And by the way, by the way, I was, I just, I have this um, software here that I use to study the Bible and I make notes in it. And I just click on a note here because I've studied this passage and I'm like, why such an anger response? And then I mm -hmm. have their congregational response when the preacher or preaching does not meet their expectation. I pray to God that nobody ever throws me out of the church like that. <laughs> when I preach a sermon I and it doesn't meet you. their expectation. Can you imagine <laughs> you preach a sermon and everybody in the church gets up and comes for you to throw you out? <laughs> oh my, that's something else, isn't it? <laughs> Shows that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <Could be. laughs> All right, we're almost out of time, but I do want to get these two questions in. Mm -hmm. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, we have used it to speak against eating pork. Is this a good passage to prove that eating pork is forbidden by the Bible? Uh, it's not a bad passage, um, but I wouldn't use it as my primary passage. Um, Leviticus 11 speaks about clean and unclean meats. Mm -hmm. but what this text identifies is how God is really disgusted by the use of of swine flesh or or pork or pig um right. so it supports a text like leviticus 11 which is very clear that mm -hmm. um, uh the swine's flesh is on clean meat you know right so it's not a bad text mm -hmm. but um it's not the it it, 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 it text can be found in Leviticus. exactly stronger right. text can okay. be found yeah all right, and then the last question for this evening, Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23 speak about from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, we, um, we would worship God. Is this saying that we will be keeping Sabbath throughout eternity? Amen. It is mm -hmm. saying that. Um, and again, we always come back to this idea of primary application mm -hmm. because God was, when the Bible says from one new moon to another, and um, what is referring there is from one month to a month, from one month to the next. The yeah. Jewish calendar is lunar, at least back then. And I think in some respects, the Jews today follow a similar thing. And so a month from month to month, that's, they would come before God. And from one Sabbath to another, they would mm -hmm. do that. Now, when the, because they didn't abide by that, that has not been fulfilled, was not fulfilled then and there. But we believe that when the new heaven and the new earth is restored or, 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 or created by God, when God creates a new heaven, a new earth, that will be happening. So mm -hmm. Sabbath is not, and this is why it's very important that as Seventh-day Adventists, we preach this very important truth because, you see, Sabbath is not, ma not man's idea, it's God's idea. And God is very clear about which day is the seventh day, which day is the Sabbath day, and if it even will be evident in eternity why shouldn't we be doing it now right right yeah so this and, text and, emphasizes the fact mm -hmm. that it will be kept even in, in, and in our study this 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 quarter we're looking at you know resting and everything and it speaks yes. about the sabbath and it says the sabbath is not a suggestion it's a commandment it is it, a commandment there a you commandment. go yeah. All right. So that takes care of all the questions we have for you today. We want to thank you so much, Pastor Marsh, for taking the time to be with us. Um, next week, um, we're going to invite our viewers to read Jeremiah 15 through to 36 for our study for next week. And uh, of course, again, as you read along, please text your questions into 954-388-8780. 
and um, read daily, not all at once, you know, so you can get the, the real meat of the matter. And uh, so, Pastor, talk to us a little bit about what the uh, what our readers can look forward to covering in Jeremiah 15 through the 36. Yeah, please read it, read it, read it, read it. You're going to be amazed. At least I find it amazing. As you read the story of Jeremiah, right. you're going to see some of his experiences, um, which were, 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 were very amazing. I told you about God telling him mm -hmm. that he shouldn't get married. You're going to read about the men of Anathoth who wanted to kill him. You're going to read about um, how the kings, um, some of the kings related to him and what they did to him. And quite a few of the prophecies that he makes concerning the future of Israel. Beautiful. You should read it. You awesome. will be blessed. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes reading the Bible is better than TV. I'm telling you. But not sometimes. All there the time. All some the of time. these stories, you know, they're really gripping, yeah. you know, when you read really through some gripping. of the experiences. And, um, and make that personal application to you today, you know. So Indeed. it's really an eye-opener and um, very inspiring. So... Um, next week, we're going to have Pastor Jen and Principal Stevenson, who is going to, they're going to be in charge of our um, lesson for, um, or re lesson review or, or, or Bible study, sorry, for next week. And um, please, uh, we just want to remind the viewers to um, subscribe to Plantation SDA Church's um, YouTube channel to be um, automatically reminded or notified of any future events that we have coming up so again thank you pastor marsh for being with us this evening it was quite a wonderful um bible study that we had just now i i for sure was blessed so thank you again um i'm gonna ask that you close us out in prayer sure let's pray together father we thank you again for your word you have promised that the study of your word brings light enlighten our hearts and our minds we pray and as we study, especially the experience of your people back then, teach us to learn and to apply the truths that will help us to abide in your will and in your way. Bless this wonderful and excellent program. And as we seek to continually make the word of God plain to others, may lives be transformed and be renewed. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked Read your Bible daily Join us every Sunday at 7.30pm For our weekly discussion From Genesis all the way through to Revelation Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 With The Bible Unmasked